0: you know one in five Americans live with a mental health problem? <laughs> that means unless you live in a cave, you know someone personally dealing with these issues.
1: So join us and our special guests as we answer your questions, share real stories, and work to pull the curtain back on how stigma impacts our everyday lives and our communities.
0: We believe that making a real impact happens best with candid conversations, laughter, and tears. We are your hosts, Jennifer Ritter and Josh Moore, and this is Impact Stigma. Good morning, evening, or afternoon. Good morning, evening, or afternoon, Josh. How
1: are you? Pretty good. What's up? Oh, my gosh. All kinds of things. Everything. Graduation. Crying. Baseball. It's been been a a mess. Yeah, you've been a wreck lately. (laughs) I think I can speak for every mom who, uh, especially moms of boys, like I adore my girls more than anything. I really do. But there's just something about that, my son. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, watching him walk off, I'm going to cry, watching him walk off the field at baseball after 12 years yeah. of travel ball and baseball and little league and all stars. And I remember we have his very first glove and it's so little. And then watching him hug my dad. And, uh, that was really incredibly emotional. My dad's got cancer. So which, oh, I saw that picture yeah. on Facebook and, um, you know, it's just one of those things where you're like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is coming to an end. And then knowing that that chapter's new and then being excited for him because I'm, I'm proud to say he got uh, accepted into the tickle College of Engineering at UT and That's scholarship, good scholarships I'm really proud of him and he's not playing baseball you know like some of the kids got they're doing signing day in a couple of days but a couple you know the kids get to go on and play baseball but he's just excited that he gets to like kind of nerd out and put his lego things that he's built with legos on his shelves and not get made fun of so
0: he's like i get to be a nerd it's great yeah there you go. (laughs) (laughs) i mean if he ever really missed it he could try walking on
1: yeah that's true he's good i mean he's good he just had a his last year man it was rough he just had a rough rough year and the whole thing but i'll tell you it's funny you know a lot of times boys don't want to talk about stuff you know But if you get him talking, it was really interesting what he learned from having to sit the bench and being around other boys and you know he was really he's like I got a job to do and it doesn't matter whether I'm on the field or off the field my job is to be here for my team and I was yeah. like who are you you know you're 17 and it's like now deep thoughts by decent oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh but yeah he graduates on the 21st of May and I mean I don't know what it is but I just feel like I I cried every day
0: oh you'll be a big ball of tears when he goes yeah. to college
1: oh yeah I was I don't even want to think about it it's it's, um, it's uh, like the weekend of August the 21st, 23rd, something like that, the second or third weekend, and I, I just feel like it's flying. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want it to come at oh, all. It'll be, it'll be here quick. I know. It'll be going. Speaking of which, maybe we should tell people about something that, that's coming up that we're doing in August. What do August, you think? August 13th is pretty big. Yeah. So, remember last year, you guys, when we had that big, huge, enormous concert? Yep. Go ahead, Josh. Or this year, we're bringing Philip Phillips mm-hmm. and Lauren Davidson. So, Philip Phillips won American Idol. He did. And his song, Home, was the biggest, most bought, downloaded, whatever song of American Idol it's history. It's still
0: used everywhere. I mean, the Olympics use it all the time for the team. Yep. I mean... He's, he's big.
1: We're excited, you guys, and he's so nice and um, just really excited about our cause this year. We're helping. Yeah, He's you know, been great to work with. Yeah, he's been incredible to work with, so he's going to be a fun concert. We're excited.
0: And he's never played in our region before, no. so, I mean, this may be one of the only chances people in our region get to actually come see him live.
1: I think that'd be great. Well, you guys just check out our website for more information on that, and we'll talk about it some more, but first, Hello to all our dedicated listeners, and welcome back to Season 3 of Impact Stigma. Today, our special guest is Dr. Emily Campbell, a physician with Holson Medical Group, and she attended medical school along with her residency right here at East Tennessee State University. Go Bucks! She is a board certified um, in family medicine and lifestyle medicine and is fellowship trained in sports medicine from Wake Forest University. Dr. Campbell is also the lead sports medicine physician at King University and Virginia High School. She serves on the HMG Board of Directors. She has also served on the Board of Directors for Girls on the Run of Northeast Tennessee. We love that organization. And Dr. Campbell has received the Tri-Cities Business Journal 40 Under 40 Award, and her primary work is serving patients in both primary care, non-surgical orthopedics, and sports medicine. So we would like to give a big welcome and and exciting, warm, awesome! Congratulations, you're here. We can't wait to Dr. Emily Campbell from HMG. Welcome to Impact Sigma.
2: Thank you. I am so excited to be here. So I'm an avid podcast listener, oh, and cool. so this is my first. This is my first gig. I'm so Woo. excited. Yes. So thanks for having me. What's that? What do you think of it? Oh, it's amazing! The setup is fantastic, and it's all <laughs> feels so professional. I'm loving it. So, thank you so much for having That's me. That's great. Thanks for being here. We're excited.
0: All right, so one of our favorite things to do is to ask fun questions to our listeners, and we've got a few questions for you, if you don't mind.
2: We'll see how it goes.
0: All right, so you're into sports medicine, right? <laughs> yep. So, what is your favorite sport?
2: Oh, easy, soccer. Soccer. Okay. Really? Yep. Play soccer. I play soccer. Yes. Played soccer through college, so That's absolutely, awesome. yeah.
1: I didn't play soccer in college. Yeah, but. it's okay. You can still I, I played it. in high school and mainly set the bench, but then I figured, you know, I'll try really hard and got to play some. Excellent. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. All right. So what's one thing that you would say you were not very good at?
2: Not very good at. Yes. How deep do you want to go on this question? <laughs> as um. deep as you feel like. Go right <laughs> ahead. Right. I am not... I have great high hopes for myself in organization, like organizing like my life and my house and my world. And then I get going. I'm so excited. And then it's like the literal wall slaps me in the face. I'm like, yeah, I'm done. And so it's like half done everywhere. Oh I'm like, gosh. yeah, I'm done. Yeah, I have petered out. So I am not very good at completing organizational projects. However, my lovely husband tends to balance me out there. He usually takes the reins like, oh, here we go again.
1: I would like to say that my husband does, but we're both equally there. Yeah. But we work great together for hanging out in the same room. We get stuff done.
2: There you go. Yeah.
1: I will say, just a little plug for my new favorite show, even though they're very hyper, is the Home Edit. Yes. They're hyper, but they have good... I like their whole concept, so yes. it's helping
2: a little bit. Yeah, I, de- I follow them, I guess, on, you know, on Instagram, yeah. and it's always like the... Oh, wouldn't that be lovely? Yeah, I'm like, (laughs) how much do do they charge? Yeah, (laughs) right, (laughs) totally. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, you know, it's always it's always a a a valiant effort, and then just never gets done. So that's okay. Yeah.
0: All right. So, what's a guilty pleasure food that you like to sneak Mm. off and eat?
2: Oh, sneak off. Oh, okay. Uh, Oreos. I I actually do not. Sneak, I, my, my kids know, oh, mom spot Oreos.
1: <laughs> so how many of those do you eat compared to them? <laughs> well, what's funny is I, I, I,
2: I bargain with myself. I'm like, okay, I'm going to, cause I actually don't love the, the middle. So like the double stuff, not my, not a fan, but the thins, right? You oh, those are so just much better. A hint. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they're like, oh Lord, mom spot Oreos. I'm like, Hey, you know, and they're like, can I have one? No. I'm like, no, you know, this is. We know you know this. They don't last long. Enough. No, they don't <laughs> last long. If we go camping, I'm always like, yes, I get to buy Oreos. You know, it's That's kind of amazing. my treat. Yeah, so I love me some Oreos.
1: That's great. All right, so who would you like to play you in a movie?
2: Okay, I am going to tell you that. You no, know, I cheated a little bit because you guys floated me that you may ask me this question because this was hard for me because I've never actually thought about it. But and it it's hard, right? Because you're like who would I aspire to be or who like would legitimately like resemble me. Right. So let's just ditch the whole resemble me part. I don't know about that one. I
1: think that's kind of where we're at with that. Yeah. Just who do you think would, I would best play you in a movie.
2: Right. So I, I love Rachel McAdams. Me too. Right. Yes. I don't know who
1: she is. Oh, (laughs) Oh. we both did. (laughs) She's so great. The time traveler's wife.
2: That's a good one. That one, um, the Notebook the was notebook? one of her main. Yeah, the Notebook. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you're a guy. Yeah, we forgot. Totally okay. Hey, she was just in the uh, Doctor Strange movie. She's just a the Doctor Strange
0: person. I ain't seen it yet. What? what? She well, is, see, I'm not big. Interest. I'm not like super big into Marvel.
2: Oh dang it! All right. I'm well, a dumb, ridiculous like, I'll watch fan. them,
0: But I watch them when they come out on Disney Plus. Yeah.
2: So. Well, she she was Strange's kind of love love interest ish yeah. even from like the beginning. Okay. Yeah. She's
1: one of my favorite actors. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You have to watch it now. You're you're required. I will I will ask you in a week if you've watched it. You have a week. If you have Disney Plus, you have a week to watch Doctor Strange. Yes. Is it on
0: yes. Disney Plus? Yes. I thought it was only in the theaters. No, no, not
1: the, the second one. one. The first, the first one. First one's
2: available.
0: Oh, I've seen the
1: first one. That's the girl. Okay. It's that's her. Oh gosh, Josh. Okay, catch up. I know. <laughs> All right. As always, we strive for candid, open, and sometimes even humorous conversations here on Impact Stigma. So please remember, this podcast is never intended to be a substitute for professional advice, formal diagnosis, or treatment for mental and behavioral health issues. If you need further assistance or have questions, please visit the Frontier Health website at FrontierHealth.org for more information. If you or someone you love has an urgent mental health need, please call 877-928-9062 and our 24-7 Frontier Health crisis team will help. If you, your child, or someone you know is in danger of suicide, go to the nearest emergency room or call 911. We also want to take a moment and thank Food City for sponsoring this episode of Impact Stigma. And now, we will be right back after a word from our sponsor.
2: A certified Food City butcher has a lot on his plate. He cuts,
1: chops, and grinds every day. In fact, about the only thing he's not cutting fresh in-house. Our corners. Beginning at 6 a.m., he grinds fresh beef all day long, and stamps the hour that beef was ground, not the day. So by the time meat from other grocery chains is hitting the shelves, ours is hitting your grill. Now
2: that's value every day, only at Food City.
0: Hello everyone, like what you're hearing so far? Well, make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button right now. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you, and we greatly appreciate your support. So let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, and thank you again, Food City. Dr. Campbell, would you mind sharing with our listeners a little bit about yourself and your practice?
2: Sure, absolutely. So I am a native of Knoxville, Tennessee. Sometimes the accent comes out. Sometimes it doesn't. Depends on <laughs> depends on what I'm doing. I do apologize for my voice. I'm a little bit um, allergic to our our lovely East Tennessee hills right now. So that's that's what that's what you're getting today. But um, yeah, from Knoxville, and I was an athlete from you know very very early on. Played soccer and basketball all through um, high school. And then was fortunate enough to play soccer at Wofford College in yeah. Spartanburg, South Carolina, which was an af- just a fantastic, amazing experience to be able to be a student athlete all the way through those years. And, you know, just like most things in life, you know, you never really understand all the experiences you have, have in life and how they're going to allow you to open up opportunities and ways of thinking and understanding things down the road. Mm-hmm. You know, but I mean, it's been invaluable to have that opportunity to have that student athlete experience, yeah. um, even moving, you know, kind of forward into, into what I'm doing now. But, um, so yeah, so I did, um, Wofford College and loved it. Great experience. Wasn't exactly sure where I was heading. I always told people just cause like, that was kind of what you said that you were going to be a doctor. I knew I was pulled in that direction, but I took a beat. Thank goodness. Again, so grateful that I didn't just like get on the train and never got off as far as like checking towards the, the in the end, the end point of, uh, of medical school. So, Didn't go directly into anything. I lived in Charleston, South Carolina for a while, which was wonderful. Had the opportunity to kind of cultivate my relationship with my now husband. Ended up going to George Washington University for my exercise science master's and up in D.C., which was, uh, again, a wonderful experience. And then decided, okay, it's time. Like, I'm ready. I keep being called to medicine. Mm -hmm. And so um, decided to come back to this region, DCSU, to, to pursue my medical career and went to medical school here. So um, yeah, medical school residency, family medicine, just because I like, I think in broad terms. And so I I feel it's important to keep things as holistically and and as a whole person, that's just how my mind works. And so I needed to foster that through family medicine, which just addresses the whole person, I think as best Mm -hmm. as it can. And, but having this athletic experience and my extra science background and everything, you know, I was also getting pulled towards maybe looking towards more sports medicine, so I had some good mentors and went on and did my fellowship at Wake Forest, which was again just one of the best years of our kind of adult life yeah. um, as a family. It's just fantastic. And over over all that, I should say, I sprinkled in a couple kids. <laughs> so yeah. I don't want to forget them. Right? They're they're lovely, amazing little humans. Um, I have two daughters. They both go to school here in Johnson City, and they're, they're you know they're just wonderful little creatures and so specifically different from each other. So they bring us a lot of joy. And so, yeah, so that's, so that's kind of my, my bio, if you will. And then my practice is up in Bristol, Tennessee, and I'm with HMG, as you've mentioned. Um, I have an interesting practice at Split. So I do just straight up primary care, family medicine half the week, and then I'm in my um, ortho sports med office half the week as well. And sports medicine is essentially like non-operative orthopedic. So any kind of ailment, uh, musculoskeletal issue that doesn't need surgery or is not ready for surgery, I take care of. And then also active people who have medical issues, I take care of. Um, Because athletes, and, and not just athletes, but that is a very specific population, but people who are also trying to be active, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's an athlete in their own way. And so trying to make sure that we're medically supporting those folks because things pop up that aren't necessarily joint related. Right. Um, so it's trying to keep it as comprehensive as possible mm-hmm. um, as far as addressing what they need. So, so that is what I spend my weeks doing.
1: Well, I know we, we kind of had a conversation over the phone last week. I was very excited about today, specifically for many, many reasons. My, my child is an athlete. Josh was an athlete, yep. is still an athlete. He's an avid hiker. Um, I wish I could say I was an athlete, but not not recently. I'm trying.
0: <laughs> I will say college sports, though, that's a whole other level. Totally, absolutely. Yeah, I played all the way through college, and it was just like having a job. Oh, I'm oh, yeah. sure, yeah. Absolutely, yeah.
1: And, you know, the thing that you shared was, you know, that – Mental health is in every aspect of your interactions with patients, and I was like, "Wow, you just don't hear doctors say that." So that's why I was like, "Oh gosh, we have to talk about this. It's so important." So will you share with our listeners more about how you approach the topic of addressing mental health with your patients, and you know why you choose to include this in your conversations?
2: Yeah. So, and I think this is again maybe something that's always been brewing and, and part of my interest, but also the more you just get out and work with people, we've separated mental health off and siphoned it off almost as, as if it's its own thing separate from the person. Yeah. And, you know, part of the conversation that I joined having with you the other day is just, you know, it is, if you have a brain, you have mental health. That's right. <laughs> and so hopefully we all have brains here, right? And, <laughs> yeah. And, or that's a problem. And so it, it's not as <laughs> if, it's not as if do you have mental health issues or not? You have mental health. It is either you're doing well, right? Just mm-hmm. like if your blood pressure is controlled, right? Like it's a, it's an entity amongst itself. The challenge with mental health is that it is so hard to define. And in the way we practice medicine, we need objective data. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And we need that number. We need that lab test. We need to have something that's concrete, objectified. So then we can strat, you know, decide to stratify risk and, you know, put you in little categories and then decide, and that is not achievable with mental health. Right. And it's so not. that is why it's like, this is really hard. So we just need to push it over here. Right. And yeah. the challenge is, is that it is everything we do with right. a patient is cloaked in what that patient thinks and feels and, and how they, they interact in their world, how what they believe about themselves and their ability to be well, or their ability to not be well. It's so important. Yeah. I have first, pers- I mean,
1: Josh has heard me complain, but. I mean, I know personally I have some issues and I don't get into them now because that's another topic. <laughs> but it was honestly HMG is where I found that feeling of what you're talking about. Yeah. And it meant it changed my perspective about everything. I felt like I could heal. Yes. I'm still getting there. Yes. But I felt like I could get somewhere and I didn't feel so downtrodden because I thought yeah. three years of this and then – I don't know what's happening, and people are telling me it's one thing and ignoring me and
2: trying to give me pills. And I'm like, I don't yeah. want pills. Yeah, absolutely. You and know? and I, you would not believe how many times I hear that. Yeah. Over and over and over again. And no offense, Josh, but predominantly women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> predominantly women because women we're hard. Mm-hmm. We are hard, and we are complex beings, and things change on a week by week by week basis. Yes, they do. Right. And and that is hard again to to pin down. Yeah. Right. And especially and and it's not that male physicians don't identify in that or even female physicians. It's just that it's hard and it, it creates a level of uncertainty within the physician that then that creates uneasiness within us. Like we are supposed to know, yeah, we're supposed to know. So if we don't know, it is our own humanity that gets in the way of being like it, that this is verbalized to the patient, but it's just like, Oh my gosh, I don't know. So all I know is I do know about this pill though. So there you go. And that it's not taking into the, Thank account you for the sharing other that. person. That's a really big you know, deal. I don't want
1: to skip over that at all. Yeah. Just to like recognize that physicians are people. Oh yeah, and that just because they have on a physician hat or they wear that badge or that coat doesn't mean that they don't have stresses and mental health challenges oh, too. Which,
2: talk about a whole nother podcast. Sure. <laughs> I'm, I mean, but, like the burnout rate amongst physicians and not just physicians nurses, the folks in yeah. the hospital over the past year. I mean, it's, it's a crisis, but it also reflects what's going on in the communities. Sure. Right. Like, especially through these past, these last two, two and a half years, et cetera. I mean, like yeah. we're in a whole nother landscape that yeah. we're all just figuring out in the moment, but, oh, yeah. but yeah, just just to, to circle back around. I mean, mental health, again, it's, it's constantly there yeah. and it's just a matter of how how can we provide some construct around how to address it? Because whether we address it or not, it is the elephant in the room yeah. with a lot of people. And if you just because of the uneasiness, either about the patient coming in, because as you said, yeah. it's almost like a micro trauma, they walk in, they're not heard, they're not believed. Oh yeah. So why are they gonna try again? I mean, like I felt why? terrible. Mm-hmm. I would go yeah. home
1: and be like, seriously? Yeah. I'm not crazy. Right. I'm dealing with this. I'm inside my own body. I feel it.
2: Yeah. Like, why I can't,
1: I get you to understand. That's and right. then you go home and then that's where I think you'll find people feel depressed. They may not have, you know, clinical depression, but they will feel depressed. I did. Absolutely. I've seen my my son's an athlete. So every time he would get, he would get hurt. That's kind of what we're talking about today. But if he got hurt. He freaked out yes. because he was like, I've got to get better right now. Yes. You know, absolutely. So, yes.
0: hmm when I got hurt in college, you know, I went through probably six months of, like, really deep depression because it ruined my career. Yep. I was done. And it was the, like, third play, and then my bicep ripped out and my mm. tricep ripped completely from the bone. Ow. And then <laughs> I got rushed to the, to the ER, and they got the insurance messed up, and I spent four or five hours just waiting to get into surgery. And then once they got the insurance – you know, straightened up. I was in surgery for 11 hours. And, you know, after all that, I went through like a crazy depression because you're like, oh man, it's over. What do I do now? And yeah. It's
1: hard. Yeah. That's tough, Josh. Oh. I've never, you've never even really told me that.
2: Well, it's n- no need to come up. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, I, and I don't know how much you want to go down that road, but I mean, there's more, especially with the um, sports medicine community. So like the non-surgical sports medicine community, I mean, working on getting support around athletes just as you've mentioned mm-hmm. who are injured because if you want to talk about the rate of healing oh, right yeah. and, and the ability to recover if you if your mental health again which is Again, we don't just all of a sudden have mental health. It's always there. If it, if that's not addressed as part of your recovery, you absolutely will have a harder, longer recovery with more injuries down yeah. the road. I mean, so it, it behooves everybody in the sports community to pay attention to it because your athletes will not be on the field as much if we do not pay attention to what they're dealing with as far as their mental health. I mean, they seriously will get injured more.
0: Yeah, it took me two years to recover. Like I didn't get mobility into my arm for a year. I mean, wow! I, I was up to my chest, wrapped for six months. Oh my word! And then you had to spend the next six months learning how to move it again.
2: And the so, one thing that you relied on to be the person that you expected to be and who you were in the world was totally taken from you. Yeah. So now it's like, what do I do? Who yeah. am I? What am I supposed to do? Yeah, because there were there's yeah. no there
0: were no services for anything like yeah, that. Absolutely. You just went through the motions and figured it out on your own. Yeah, and,
2: yeah. And some people don't, you know, figure it out. You yeah. know, and that's the challenge. And even these days, and you know yeah, kids these days whatever but like I mean high school college kids that I treat and see you know I, I wouldn't go back you couldn't pay me to go back and relive what their the life that they are currently living with the types of pressures expectations and pressure and I, you know and I just you couldn't pay me so I mean like and that's yeah. that's that's the soup they they swim in you know that's the water they swim mm-hmm. in you know and so it's it's a it's a big deal it's yeah. a big deal yeah
0: all right so what's your thoughts about why so many athletes struggle with mental health
2: Yeah, I think, I think in general being an athlete, you know, it's, there's a lot of layers to that, you know, people select into sports for a variety of different reasons. Mm -hmm. And so there's a general kind of almost population bias of who actually ends up to be an athlete or continue with sports in a formalized way, you know, not just like the pickup and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, and a lot of people find that whether they realize it or not, when they're young, but it's almost like a coping strategy. Mm. You know, I mean, so if they have anxieties, if they have um, a lot of difficulties in the house, in the home, right? Like the way that they can kind of equilibrate a little bit is the exertion, aggression, the you know commitment, team build. I mean, there's a family
1: and a structure and and a a routine, hundred percent. And so,
2: you know. So some people already inherently have some of, you know, some tendencies that then are alleviated or it's just a, it's a, it's a relatively hope, you know, healthy coping mechanism to be an athlete. And then especially if they become what we would consider successful or they are, you know, they make the teams and the whatever, then they're rewarded for that. And so they, they keep going. The challenge is when When there are competing incentives between the athlete's desire to play, essentially perform and compete, the parent's potential financial commitment, time commitment, family life commitment, and then the coaches, and depending on what level you're talking about, whose job literally rests on the performance of teenagers. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you've got young men and women whose performance will dictate whether that coach gets – gets a job next year i have
1: chills thinking about it as a mom i mean
2: it's so hard it's so intense well i mean look
0: look at ut how many coaches have they went through in 10 years
2: yeah yeah so many yeah and so so there are competing incentives and priorities and it's not malignant it's not meant to be it's just again it's just the way it is but if we don't talk about it 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 doesn't ever get better right so like and even even
1: it's not i mean, not to interrupt but it's not allowed like i'm a mom and the only thing I'm going to say here is I was a single mom for a while. I've told I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I was a domestic violence survivor. So were my kids because they were there, you know. So I'm like a poor person. I didn't make a lot of money. I did the best I could. And my kid is doing a very expensive sport. Mm. And there's all these other families around that can afford it that have dads that can take him. And I feel all this shame and guilt. This is just my personal one-person story. There's mm-hmm. many more like sure. that. Where I'm putting all this pressure on my kid, and I don't mean to, because I'm like, man, I don't know if I can afford college. I don't know if you're going to be, you know, he's smart, but I don't know how he's going to do. I'm also like, you also need not to get in trouble, so let's go do something to keep you focused. Right. And it just went, he, he did 12 years of baseball, and he, he could have done, so I feel guilty because he's a really amazing athlete. Yeah. And he saw so much less success than other athletes he's very you know very upset about that he's okay with it but he's also struggling with it he he could have gone on to play college baseball but he didn't and there's reasons for that that we won't get into but it was coaches pressure and parent pressure and other team member pressure there was all kinds of stuff going on and I just think oh my gosh I can't imagine that going from where he's at in high school to the like josh in college and then a professional athlete I mean it just keeps continuing and we put athletes on such a pedestal and expect them to have all of these incredible you know, they're performing and they have to act perfect. Meanwhile, we've seen more stuff happen in the athletic world, especially in for you know, front facing professional athletes, just like I quit. I can't. I mean, I can't imagine the pressure. Oh yeah.
2: Yeah. It's definitely it's definitely one of those you know, escalates with each each step up. Sure, yeah, for sure. Cause, yeah, Because in
0: college, you, at least for me, at Carson Newman, you know, you had to also have practice at 5 in the morning mm-hmm. and maintain above a 3.0 mm-hmm. and do everything else. And by the time you knew it, it was 10 o'clock at night. Yep. And you're just getting to study. Yep. And then you're getting in bed, getting up and doing it again over and over. Yep. And it don't stop. In the summer, we were required to stay if we could. And then you take summer classes. And you go and you do it again and again. You do that year after year after year. Yeah,
2: yeah. and it, it's interesting, right, because everybody still wants it. Right? Yeah. Everybody's still, like, that's still the goal. And oh, yeah. all of the travel teams and all of the, you know, and it's interesting, especially when the family life is based around it because, I mean, those are social, social circles. So if, you know, all of a sudden the, the athlete of the family who you've based your entire kind of family life around is injured and is no longer, for the time being, part of that, the whole entire – Unit is now operating differently, right? And depending on how the people in that situation deal with it, like that athlete can internalize that, you know. But but back to the mental health thing, it's way easier. Like if they got a blown ACL, whoo! I mean that's traumatic and terrible. However, and there's a whole like mental health issue that goes along with the recovery of an ACL injury. But the family's like, well, we got the ACL injury, you know what I mean? So everybody's like, oh okay, oh okay. That feels comfortable to me on the, on the receiving end of that because I know what that means. We'll get it back. But if, if you come up and you're like, my daughter literally told me that she almost drove off the road yesterday because she couldn't even make it to practice, right? Because all of a sudden, you're going to be opening up all those little hidden thoughts and fears and everything mm-hmm. in everybody yeah. else's heart, and they don't want to hear it, and that's not measurable, right? right. I don't know when my daughter's going to get better. There's no endpoint. God there. forbid,
1: as a physician, you have to look at someone and say, "I have absolutely no idea what to do."
2: Well, right. Well, and right. And then you got to go. Well, what do we do? And well, when are they going to get better? And I'm like, "Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. we got to." Yeah. Like I get that, you know. So a lot. So for on my end, what I try to do, whether it's you know primary care, sports medicine, or whatever, is really manage expectations because everybody wants to go to the end point Mm -hmm. right every and this is everything right like and this is just the the, you know topic that we're talking about but the mind wants certainty and it wants to get there now and if it's not there now it wants to know how it's going to get there (laughs) because we got stuff to do right we got stuff to do so we want to know now where we're going where we're going to be and when there's that uncertainty it does not rest well Mm -hmm. everybody gets anxious with that, regardless if they want to call it anxiety or if they've had something like that in the past. So anyway, all of that can be internalized by the athlete. And, you know, college athletes, they do, they get pressured by coaches. And even these travel teams get pressured by coaches. Well, you know, if you don't play, we're not going to the tournament. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you can't put that on a 12 year old. You can't put that on a 12 year old. You are an adult. Yeah. Right? Like, but it happens all the time. And because we have vaulted the success in the athletic world to mean that you have value in this it's culture. Almost, yeah. It's almost you know? like,
1: you know, celebrity. It is. It's ridiculous. It is.
2: And then when it goes away, Josh, as "You, oh, it, yeah. it, it is a hard fall. Yeah. What's it that? is a hard fall.
0: I liked playing. Yes. I didn't really care about like none of that other stuff. I just had fun playing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it's over. I can't ever do it again. Because they were like, no, you can't come back. So it's It's like, really tough. It is. It hits you and you're like, "Well, dang, I'm done." And didn't even cuz you when it hits you, you're like, I didn't plan for being done like I didn't graduate out. It was just all of a sudden. Yeah. And then it like really hits you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what just your intro with talking about where you are right now with your son, but mm-hmm. I was as you were talking, I was I was over here nodding at it, you know, but it's a grieving process. It's yeah. wonderful and beautiful and amazing, but it is a total grieving process because the life as you've known it and it would be grieving even if he was not an athlete and going on to school, sure, right? It adds, like it just adds extra. It adds extra. Yeah. Because, you know, it's a, it's a void. It, it, it creates a void in, in what you – I, I don't want to overspeak. I don't know your situation No, you're fine. But, like, you know, I mean, like, in general, it, it there is a grieving of what was.
1: Well, Deason doesn't really talk about things a lot. He's extraordinarily deep. He'll share all of his stuff with me. But recently it's been wonderful because my husband, his stepdad, is really good at communication. So, you know, Greg kind of came up and told me, he was like, Yeah, I asked Decent if he was okay. He didn't really, he wasn't really talking a whole lot, but he did say, I think this is good. He was like, Yeah, yeah, I think baseball is going to take some time. And that was his way of saying, I have to walk through this slow because I, I didn't know yeah. I was going to be like this. Because, I mean, frankly, it's not a shot at coaches, but it's like, I feel like it is, I'm so not alone now because it's like, I know my kid was capable, but there's like this empathy I have for coaches a little bit yeah, because I know they've got all this pressure from you other do. parents hundred percent, and then they've got to keep their job. So they have to win. And then, so there's like all this stuff. And I think my kid just kind of got, you know, ground up in that, you know, there was, he ended up, you know, playing all the time and then like things shifted a little bit and there, there was somebody that came in that was a little bit better and he got, you know, he got sat down. And he didn't play very much his senior year. So that was really hard for me as a mom because I always felt like, oh, gosh, is he okay? Is he, is he okay? Is he okay? He's worked so hard. Is he okay? And then I had other parents that I knew, you know, putting their kids stuff on Facebook, how they pitch the perfect game and all this other stuff. And it just made my heart hurt even yeah. more. And then I kind of, like, manifested that on him even though he didn't ask me to because I'm a big feeler. So, you know, I'm like, oh, are you okay? And he's like, mom, leave me alone. <laughs> but I don't know when to leave him alone and when not right. to leave him alone because they're not they're supposed to be tough. I guess is what I'm trying to say, and that kind of leads me to my my next question, which is it's like the mixed messages that we hear when like when someone specifically gets hurt. Mm-hmm. So you have a major player on the team that gets hurt, and it's that we we care about you, but when we when are you going to be able to play again? Mm-hmm. And it's the pressure to hurry up and get to work again that makes I think it makes their mental health worse. That's my mm-hmm. personal. You know, take on it. So as a parent of a student athlete myself, what would you like to share with the parents and coaches about the importance of holding mental health and physical health to the same standard for athletes?
2: Yeah. So I think again, it's, it really does ask a lot of the parent because you do get so emotionally involved and you have to remember that you're the parent Mm -hmm. and it's hard. And so it's like, why do I want my son or daughter to why am I pushing them? And again, there's no, well, number one, there's no right answer. Because we all know that, you know, being an athlete, I mean, you have to be able to take on some level of pain to be an athlete. You know, I mean, you have to push yourself. You have to get out of your comfort zone. And it's hard for them to know when, sometimes when is pain okay and I need to go, or when is pain not okay and I need to stop. And that's, again, one thing that I try to help the student and, you know, and the the patient parent navigate because just being pain-free all the time is probably not actually going to happen. Yeah. And how much of that is okay? And then when you add the emotional component on that, again, how much being upset or being nervous before a game, I mean, there's so much, again, it's all spectrum. And, and when does it start becoming not healthy quality coping skills, right? Like when is it something that can facilitate, you know, achievement and motivation, and then it flips into being something that becomes harmful to the person. So it's a fine. I mean, my answer is essentially a non-answer because it's a balance and you have to know your kid a little bit, but I would humbly ask the parents and the adults in the situation to actually try to identify their motivations for the situation. Mm -hmm. Because you think in your mind, you think, Oh, I want the best for my kid, which you do. But sometimes you realize that there's a secondary gain there for you. And so it may be, you know, somebody sitting the bench, it's so uncomfortable for the parent, Yeah. right? And, and it is hard not to project that onto the kid. And so it is just like checking in with them, trying to check yourself, talk to other adults that you, that you trust, not that are going to go, oh, well, yeah, I know that's awful. I know, I'm so sorry that mine had to pitch the whole game. Like, that's not helpful, right? No. Like when you start talking to parents who are doing the compare. And we compare and despair all the time, right? Like that's a lot of the... Everyday life right now yeah. is compare and despair.
1: I like and that. And so yeah.
2: it's like, is my child safe? Is my child well? If they're not well, what do I need to do to try to help them get the tools they need to be well? And that's either physical and mental. And yes. then and then also trying to do some reflection back to yourself of like, why do I want this for my kid? Yeah. You know, I, again, it, it, these are just really long conversations with a lot of of families you know that that I have listening
1: I would say listen it was the hardest conversation I mean I I sat there and just like stupid snot cried in front of my kid because he looked at me and he was like I haven't liked baseball for two years there you go I've sat here and I've done this and I've how do you think I feel I'm going and I'm pitching and I'm working and I'm working and I don't know why I keep getting on the bench, but there I am, and somebody's always better, and I'm always stuck. Mm. I didn't want to play. I didn't want to play. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm the one telling you, get it back out there, and you know, and, and forcing him to go play and thinking I'm doing the right thing. And it was one – I mean, it was a good moment because we got there, but I hurt, it made me feel terrible because I'm like, I wish I had listened and paid more attention to my kid instead of what I thought needed to have, you know – be out there cuz that's what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, but you, you know, know. We
2: all just do the best we can with what sure, we know. Sure. You know, I mean, and that's I and mean, this is and this is why we're having this conversation, yeah. you know, because you know, we all think that oh, nobody else is going through this. Every Gosh, single yes. family's going through this. Yeah. Right? Like every single one in some again, everything's a spectrum in some level or another. Um but I can't even be get the athletes who don't want to be out there tend to be the ones that get injured the most. And they don't they're not trying to get injured but there is something deep within them that know that this is not what i want to be doing anymore and it just happens yeah. you know so anyway yeah it's 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 pretty complex and um it's it's an important
1: conversation it is for especially sure especially for right now because i mean we've seen so much sad you know things come to light that i think people are shocked by but also i'm i hate it but i'm also glad that it's it's coming out especially in you know the news and things like that you know, during the Olympics, there were some, some things where people yes. stepped away. And I was like, yes. what? I know. Why are people heckling this person? If they can't go any farther, let her be.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah. So, Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka, I think, are the two biggest examples of, you know, what I, I like about that, though, is that they're of a, of a generation where I think they are learning, like, I'm, I'm taking back my agency on this. You know what I mean? Like, yes. like I'm not here for you, mm-hmm. you know, I, and, and you're right. They got a lot. It's wild to see the pushback that they got or whatever, you know, I mean, the, the, the negative voices always tend to rise to the top. Right. So, but, but even the, the, the sad part is, is that even within the last couple of weeks since April or whatever in the news, I've, you know, there've been four, four mm-hmm. female college athletes that have died from suicide. Four and those are the ones we know of, right. and honestly, a large part of that is only because they're from high, relatively high visibility universities, sure. right? So who who even knows? You know what? Similar about all that they're all women, yeah. and that that does not mean that men do not suffer. I think men deal with all these issues in a, in a bit of a different way. I agree, and, and it manifests a little differently. But four is just to me. It's there's probably ten for every one, and I, of course I'm not look that don't. You know, I hope to heavens so that's not true. But you know, whatever gets reported in the news, that is not the full story.
1: Yeah. No. Maybe or, you can speak to this, Josh, because as a, as a guy, as a baseball mom, as a, mom. a boy, I think men are so much, they're allowed to be team players. They're allowed to work together. They don't like, they don't get like envious of each other. They kind of like, you know, they punch it out and they're fine. <laughs> right. and women are more, <laughs> women are more separate. Does that speak, does that seem true?
0: Kind of, you know, in my experience, you know, through college was the guys that, you know, wanted to be up at the top and couldn't, you know, a lot of them took out, they they weren't suicidal, but they became alcoholics yes. or they become... Substance abuse, absolutely. Like substance abuse was really, yes. is really, really heavy yes. on the male side. Like for every 20 guys that didn't make it, 15 are now, you know. Really? Yeah. Like it, it was really, really heavy. And you got to think in college football... You know, it's you see eleven guys on this on offense, eleven guys on defense. Well, there's also there's 225 people on the team, so each position is like seven or eight deep, and you got to be better than the guy in front of you and the guy in front of you. That's tough. The pressure is like insane. So you know, the guys that's like three deep, you know, a lot of them are like struggling and turning to stuff to make them feel a little bit better. That's what I saw. I saw a lot of. A lot of alcohol, a lot of drugs, a lot of pot.
2: Lots of pot. Yeah. <laughs> there is mean, a lot of pot. Yep. Use not so use. much
0: the suicidal stuff on the male side, but the other, the other spectrum. You know, the yeah turning to something else.
2: Yeah, and it, you know, in any addiction behavior, right? It's numbing the pain, right? It's numbing right. the pain, whatever that is. Um, and you know, you can only hope that you know if you have a student athlete somewhere that they that they put some of those anxieties or whatever towards maybe their studies or have more, you know, different coping, you know, behaviors. But if they've never been taught that in their home or if that's not been stressed or, you know, I mean, there's all there's so many factors, but yeah, whether you try to cover up with alcohol or marijuana or any other mm-hmm. type of addiction, I mean, it's uh it's, it's just trying to numb that pain, you know, that anxiety, that depression, these, these feelings that are overwhelming that you don't know what to do with. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So you've shared how mental health and physical health are connected. So, would you share with our listeners the importance of including mental health in physical health practice?
2: Yeah, I think I think whether or not physicians or other medical you know practitioners prior to the pandemic did this on a more regular basis or not, I think that it has just you know stormed the door you know into the offices um, as far as what people are going through and their state of health and understanding that it is intimately related with their mental. Health Mm -hmm. And so, you know, whether, whether it was comfortable or not for folks before the pandemic, I, I feel like we've all been thrusted upon it even more so just because of what we've all lived through. So it's one of those things, again, it's, it's there, whether we decide to recognize it or not. And I think more and more physicians, the physician awareness, you know, medical practitioner awareness of bringing it into the conversation And understanding, and and let me just speak from my experience, this is just my experience, being willing to sit with a patient and allow them to tell you their truth, to trust that relationship, allow them to tell you what it is that they are actually experiencing, even if I can't fix it. Because honestly, it's not my job to fix a person, right? right? Like, that is a old model. (laughs) I, I would never be so presumptuous, to, to say, okay, now I'm going to go fix your anxiety. you ready? Like that doesn't make any sense, right. right? So, but being allowed for that person to just have a moment to communicate what it is they're experiencing, their physical health will fall in line, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Like all the things we're worried about with the numbers and things, I think, you know, one reason we might be hanging out in the ice cream aisle is because we're dealing with all the other things in our life that we can't deal with so we're buffering and we're 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 just coping by eating. You know what I mean? So it's yes. not <laughs> about the blood sugar. It's about why are we being drawn to this? And if you don't address what that is, what what is that person going through that mm-hmm. draws them to this, it's been in your wheels. Now again, the challenge with, you know, we are we are taught we are bred to fix things. I mean, that is physicians mental health. You know, we can't fix covid -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? We can't fix these things. These things are present and they are with us, and so we have to be okay with knowing that even if we can't fix it, we can still allow it and honor it, and not just dismiss it. Yeah. And just even that simple fact, I think is it's a it's a little bit freeing. And I am honestly I'm speaking to myself here as much as you know anybody else because I want so much to help people, right? But like. I'll, sometimes me just allowing them to talk to me about what it is that's going on with them is helping. Yeah
1: that's true. From a patient, I mean, I'm a patient right now, so you know not your patient, but I'm, I'm dealing with some situations that I'm trying to, to talk through and it's like I struggle with explaining it because I'm like, well, if they think I what if they think I'm crazy? You know, or I'm not crazy. I know this is happening to me, so I don't even know how to articulate it. There's so like there's also that communication barrier with that mental with health and mental health. Pretty okay educated, so I I know kind of enough to be dangerous. (laughs) But when I try to talk about it, I cannot stress how relieving it is to be heard. I don't need you to fix me. I don't always need the doctor to fix me. I just need them to know. That I just need to be able to look them in the eye, and they said, "I hear you. Yeah. That's awful. I'm sorry. We're gonna try to work there, but at least I heard, I got hurt. It takes like this huge weight off my Absolutely. shoulder, and I found that when I came over to HMG. So you know, I love your practice. I love the whole organization itself, because I was like three years struggling, and then the last eight months, I've I've gotten more answers in the last eight months. Which has been so much better for for my mental health, just because absolutely. I'm like I'm not crazy. This is happening. Somebody help me. We're getting there, but it you know it's, it's a, a process. I'm, I'm yeah. fine with the process. I just wanted to be heard. Yeah, you know, yeah. absolutely. Yep. So, I would say my last question would be, you know, if you could speak to your fellow health care providers, you know, about changing the conversation and like helping. To just like strip back the stigma because that's really kind of where all of this stuff, all the things we've talked about today, there's this underlying stigma there that is making people feel like uh, I'm not really sure I can talk about that. There's a stigma in performing in athletes. There's a sti- there's that stigma, and it's all about that mental health part that we're talking about today. So, you know, how would you help change that conversation? Like, hey, this is what I want our us as a profession to do to help eradicate that and change that behavior so people do feel safe with their practitioner.
2: Yeah, it yeah, it just it just has to it just has to, you know, we have vital signs, you know, like the blood pressure and the heart rate and whatever. And not that not that the mental health check-in needs to be a vital sign, but it, again, it cannot be siphoned off. It cannot be a separate thing. It has right. to be it has to be part of the conversation. And as soon as we honor the fact that it's part of a regular conversation, like almost every patient <laughs> Pretty much every patient that I see, I always ask about their sleep and mm-hmm. and so it's they know <laughs> they're gonna have to report to me how they're sleeping. And if you if you come in and you you know that and your patient if you establish a relationship with them and they know that that you're gonna ask, it's because again, a lot of times physicians don't ask because they don't know what to do with it. Yeah and so just asking, how are you handling? You know, you can frame it however is comfortable for you, you know, as the provider. But, like, make it a routine, not, okay, now, now we're going to go talk Amen, about your though. mental health. <laughs> routine is, yeah, you don't have to you promise know? it. <laughs> yeah, like, make it part of the conversation. Yeah. It's just part of the routine care. Yeah. I think that, ultimately, that's where it has to get to.
1: I agree. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to do anything with it. Just ask me, you know. <laughs> yeah. You can write it down in my notes. And when you feel safe enough to try to figure out what to do with it, you can talk to me three three or four appointments
2: from now, maybe, right. you know? Yeah, yeah, because it's a conversation over time, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. All
1: right, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Campbell. Um, we have certainly, I know I feel very enlightened. I don't know about you, Josh, do you feel enlightened? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so much.
2: I love, I love that you shared
1: so much. It was so cool to hear your story, too. Um, so it's just... It's really important to see mental health connected to our overall health. So I applaud you for your work and how you care for, for those that you're serving. Um, it's a really big deal to me, especially as a, you know, a mama of a boy that, that loves baseball. So um, for our listeners, thank you for continuing to tune in. We definitely couldn't do this without you. But I do want to mention one little thing. This podcast is actually just a piece of the Frontier Health Foundation's Impact Sigma movement. The movement is about raising public awareness and financially supporting important mental health programs and services. Um, We now have a growing community of givers we call Impact Makers. They give monthly because, you know, it's an easy way for them to afford to give back. So for me, I give $20 a month, and it helps support the vital Frontier Health programs and services. The best part of being an impact maker, besides how giving makes us feel, is all the special perks we share with our impact makers. You, you have to become an impact maker to find out all the details. So just go to our website at FrontierHealthFoundation.org and find the Impact Stigma Movement tab and look for Become an Impact Maker and go from there. So you can give $5 a month. You can give $10 a month. Like I said, I do $20. Um, it's whatever feels good within your budget. We're happy and appreciative and thrilled no matter what it is. Our Impact Monthly um, community was designed just to allow anybody to become an impact maker. So,
0: please, go sign up. We would love to have you. Don't forget to subscribe to our show. It's free. Don't cost nothing. No. You can find us everywhere. 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 Everywhere.
1: (laughs) Amazon, Spotify. Yeah. iTunes. Absolutely. We'd love to have you. So, hey, you guys, go out there and don't forget to make an impact. Stigma can make mental health problems worse and even stop a person from getting the help they need. Untreated mental illness places an enormous economic and emotional burden on our communities. The economic burden alone is in the billions, and that directly affects all of us. We all play a crucial role in creating a mentally healthy community, one that is inclusive, rejects discrimination, and supports recovery. For us at Impact Stigma, this is way more than just a podcast. It is about igniting our communities sharing our stories, and working together with listeners like you. We invite you to find out more about Impact Stigma on our website at impactstigma.com. One way you can make an impact right now is by sharing our podcast with your friends and family because you never know when something we talk about might be the reason someone you love asks for help. Mental illness is not a personal failure. We can't do this without you. So if you feel inspired to get involved, first, subscribe to this podcast then go visit our website at impactstigma.com. Watch the video and read about how you can become an impact maker. Thank you for listening to Impact Stigma. we are so glad you chose us. We want to thank our guests again for sharing your impactful story and doing your part to Impact Stigma. Join us next time as we enjoy some laughs and hear impactful stories. Until then, this work needs you. So go be an impact maker. Thank you and be blessed.